Acts chapter 27. We're actually going to begin in verse 13. Verse 13. I know it's a long chapter. Some of you uh, probably scared the folks off this morning when they saw I've got to cover the whole chapter tonight. Um, But a narrative that Dr. Luke gives us about the Apostle Paul on his way to Rome and literally finding himself in the storm. Now, poor old Paul. I mean, when you look at Paul's life, you see crisis after crisis. When he comes to faith, that is. When he follows Christ, it seems like there's one crisis upon another crisis. Beforehand, he's, he's, he's actually making some progress among the Jewish leadership. Beforehand... He, he basically commands attention from people. They recognize him. They, they compliment him. He is one of the next leaders of this generation. And yet, on the Damascus Road, when God does a work in his life, it seems that from there forward, Paul will experience one crisis after another crisis. So much for those individuals who say, just come and accept Jesus and everything will be wonderful and great in your life, right? Paul's probably not the one you want to cite as an example of that type of doctrine or belief. Because you see Paul going forth and preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel. You see his Jewish brothers and sisters who push him back. Even even some within the church early on, the church at Jerusalem, they they actually reject Paul's membership. Now, think, not many Baptists would reject your membership, but he comes down, and they're concerned. They think he's, he's one of these guys that's going to come in, and he's going to monitor what's happening. He, he's going to spy upon them, and he's going to go back and report. They really, he gets a cold reception from his own brothers and sisters, his Christian brothers and sisters, when he comes to the church in Jerusalem. And he removes himself for some time until Barnabas comes along and encourages him. And he has a great ministry at Antioch. We read that. But then God says, hey, I don't want to leave you in a comfortable position. I want you to go out on the road. And I want you to preach. And I want you to share the gospel. And so he'll go through all of the different obstacles that come with traveling in such a world, in such a time. He'll have the natural obstacles. But also, as he preaches and he teaches, before you know it, At one point, he's left for dead. He's stoned, left for dead. Then, before you know it, he has his Jewish brothers and sisters, the mob. They try to tear him apart. Then he has to stand before one official and then another official and then another official. So all these things things have come into his life since he accepted Christ. Crisis after crisis. And now to compound all of that, you will find him in a literal storm. What's the believer's response to the storm? How does a believer respond to a moment of crisis? How does a believer respond to the storm itself? I want you to see beginning in verse 13. Those first few verses tell us from Dr. Luke's vantage point, who is a companion with Paul on this, He tells us how they have already made their voyage. They've already uh, moved from one place to the other. They've recognized the issues. Paul had advised them and counseled them 
just to stay where they were for some time. And yet the centurion, convinced by others, decide it's time to put out to sea. That's what we see in verse 13. It says, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. In other words, they think everything's clear now. Everything's fine. Let's go ahead and let's go on our journey. And they're journeying where? They're going to Rome. Because Paul made the appeal to appear before Caesar himself. Verse 14. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocliden. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sardis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would have been saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. We talk about crises. They come in our lives. These crises come to all of us, even as believers. As I stated a moment ago, Paul really saw the most difficult days in his life after he was saved. And here is Paul on a ship destined, destined to the place God had appointed. And yet, a storm comes. What happens? How do we respond when we 
find ourselves in a storm, a storm that that we could blame upon God himself. Now, I know we got to be careful and I want to be careful and sensitive to this tonight. But think of this. Who controls the weather? Who controls all that is going on? Who told Paul he was going to Rome? God. God had sent him on this mission. And at the very least, God had allowed this storm to come into his life. How does Paul respond to this? Well, when you look at this narrative that Dr. Luke gives us, you see Paul, you see him demonstrating faith before all the others around him. Demonstrating faith. Now, I am convinced that God allows us to experience certain crises in our lives so that we can demonstrate our faith, so we can grow our faith, so we can build our faith. When a crisis comes, I believe we all face a choice of whether we will trust him or whether we will not trust him. When a crisis comes into our lives, I am convinced that it can leave us either bitter or better. Many of us have been there. Many of us have had certain moments come. I mean, and, and we look back and we say, now, God, why would you allow this to come into our lives? God, why would you let the wind blow in such a way? I mean, this is a storm. It, 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 it basically is a nor'easter, if you want to use that translation. It is this difficult storm. Sailing on the Mediterranean, well, I've never really been there. It looks beautiful on TV, right? It looks wonderful. But according to what I understand and what I've read and what I've seen, it can be very dangerous. And especially in the New Testament time, when you don't have quite all of the luxuries of cruise ships or boats today. As a matter of fact, the ship that Paul was on, a cargo ship that he had moved from the merchant ship to the cargo ship that he was on, would have been very simple, very elementary in its construction and the way it would hold up to a storm. And now here he is. He is on this ship in the midst of this difficult storm, a storm that continues to last and continues to last. And he is faced with this decision, will I trust, will I, want, will I not trust? And I think in so many ways, will I face this crisis head on? Crisis after crisis that he had faced, that he had had to make that same decision before. Will I trust him? Will I become better or will I become bitter? I mean, it is amazing that we're to this point with Paul. Some, quite frankly, some of us probably, if we had been beaten and left for dead, we probably would have already raised the white flag and said, okay, God, we love you. We want to serve you. But this mission stuff, it's over. I'll serve you back at Antioch. I'm going back to Antioch. I'm going somewhere else. And you could have reasonably... You could have rationally explained it to yourself. But Paul didn't do that. Paul kept on going. Paul listened. And he followed the Lord. 
and there was faith and there was trust. I mean, listen to what he says. Now, you got to give it to Paul. Verse 21, when he looks at them, he says, men, you should have listened to me. Okay. Give him that one, okay? Paul says, I told you so. I know you've never wanted to say that, right? Just like you never wanted to tell somebody to get over it. You never want to say, I told you so. Paul says, I told you so. If you'd have listened, but he said, now, even now, I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And the reason for his belief and faith, verse 23, for there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told to me. His faith was in God and what God had said. I mean, that's it. In the moment of crisis, if you're going to respond, you need to respond in faith. Hey, I believe the God I serve, and I believe what he has said to me. I believe what he has spoken to me. Now, Paul says, an angel of the Lord appeared to me last night. This is what he said, and I'm just going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to have faith in him. Now, I'm not saying to you that an angel will appear the night before your crisis or maybe a night during your crisis. I'm not saying that an angel will appear in such a way. I've never, never seen an angel. If you have, we'll probably talk later, okay? May not be the time and the place right now. I'm not saying angels don't exist. I believe angels exist. I certainly do. I'm just saying, you know how I think God speaks to us primarily today? Through his word. Through his word. So if I read his word and he speaks to me, it's just as though God has opened heaven itself and audibly spoken. I believe that. So when I read in here, things like I did this morning. You know, like this morning, I read from the Psalms. Hey, it makes me feel so much better. Even you, the citation. I wasn't even going to ask for that because... And what did it say? David said, I have never seen, I have never seen God's righteous people, God's people beg for bread. Never seen that. Not going to happen. New Testament, I mean, Jesus had said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you He said, don't do that. Birds, they're taken care of. Flowers, they're taken care of. You don't worry about those basics. Over and over again, we are, are reminded that God will take care of his people. And if God's going to take care of his people, if that's what he said, listen, if that's what he said, that's what he'll do. If that's what he has spoken to us, that's what he's promised us, you can count on him. And Paul says, hey, I know God spoke to me, and this is what God said, and I'm going to choose to believe in God. The moment of crisis gives you a moment to demonstrate your faith. Now you can demonstrate your faith on the mountaintop. You can. But oh how much richer it is to demonstrate it in the valley. 
was an old song. I was looking around thinking, will anybody know this song in here? But yeah, if it's an old song, some of you will know, right? Some of you know this was written uh, back years and years and years ago, years and years ago, somewhere where like Dale was. Somebody back, back years ago. The God of the Mountain. You remember that? It was old Southern Gospel. You may not have heard. Oh, the God of the Mountain. No, we're not singing it right now. The McCamies, the McCamie group. It said, talk comes so easy when you're up on the mountain. I mean, talk, faith, comes so easy when you're on the mountaintop and you're doing things. But it's in the valley when faith is really put to the test. When faith is really put to the test. I mean, it's one thing to walk around and say, hey, I trust God, I believe God. But it's in the storm. And you can really demonstrate that faith and that trust. Paul, he says, I'm going to believe God. Going to believe God. He demonstrates his faith, his confidence. And he also encourages those who are around him. Now, see, I love this part of it. How he just encourages those individuals who are around Notice he said again in verse 25, take heart. Verse 22, he had said, take heart. He says, I want you to be in courage. I want you to take heart. I want you to have courage. I want you to know. I want you, I want you to experience faith for yourself. I want you to believe. I want you to trust. He encourages them. Later on, after 14 days of not eating, now, can you imagine 14 days there? They haven't eaten. I mean, they're tossing to and fro. And the way the narrative reads, like they have no control over the boat. If only we had control, right? When the crisis comes and the storm, if only you could just control it just a little bit. Kind of like God, just let me just have just a little bit of the steering wheel and let me guide this thing. It'd make me feel a little bit better. They have no control. One of the most frightening moments of your life in my life, is when we realize that we have no control. The crisis has come. There's nothing we can do. If only we could. Look, so many of you are wired like I am. If only we could run in and just, no control. Faith and trust. And in the moment when they have no control, in the moment when they haven't eaten, in the moment where it says they haven't really seen the sun, the stars, they haven't really been able to, Till night from day with all the darkness and with all the storm. In those days, Paul said, take heart. Be encouraged. He said to them, verse 34, Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks in the presence of them all. When he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. Said they were all encouraged. Encouragement is contagious. It is. Now, this is not a pie-in-the-sky type of hope. This is a hope that is based upon faith in God. 
That faith now is exuding itself into encouragement. That he encourages. He encourages those who are around. It's amazing how these pagan soldiers, these pagan individuals now are exposed to the encouragement of the God of Israel. And how Paul is actually encouraging them. I said to you earlier, you can become bitter or better. For some of us, we would have looked at this situation and said, hey, they're getting what they deserve. I mean, now, isn't that what the psalm says? Those evildoers, I'm just going to give them what they deserve. I hope you didn't get that out of my message this morning. It is one thing to realize that one day God will defeat all his enemies. It's another thing to realize that as long as we have breath in our body and we're right here, we have the purpose of trying to see those individuals come to know the living God of heaven. And that's what he's doing. He's encouraging them. He's become better. All these crises, they make Paul a better minister, I believe, more equipped, a better individual to stand and talk and speak the gospel of Christ. But a crisis, again, can challenge that faith and can lead us to a place where we're not so much encouragers, but we're discouragers. And if we allow the spirit of bitterness to come into our lives, we can discourage others about the church. It can be something personal. It can be a sickness. It can be a loss that we have. Unfortunately, in our churches today, because we're made up of messy people, imperfect people, sometimes the crisis can be relational. Brother in Christ against a brother in Christ. Remember when I was in high school, seeing some very difficult things. I was working in the church's life, leading music. I know you think, oh, it's just a little church, whatever else. Yeah. Little churches, kind of like big churches, kind of like medium churches, all made up of people. Ministry would be easy if it weren't for people. But there wouldn't be any ministry because there wouldn't be any people. We're all people causing, we're, we're just, we all have our preferences. We all, we're all a process. Can we admit that? All of us are, no matter who we are and what age we are, no matter how long we've been saved, we're still not where we need to be. Not going to be totally conformed until we get to heaven one day so as a 16 year old I saw some of the inner workings of the church and I saw deacons who kind of had gone back and forth with one another and my idealism was shattered in some sense my idealism meant realism this is the way the church is and I struggle with it struggle with it greatly I won't go into all of it tonight. Another day I'll tell you more about it. But I feel like at the age of 16, I had to make a choice. And it was a crisis of faith, a moment for me. Will I become bitter or will I become better? I think I became better. I think it led me to more of a spirit of encouragement because you know what? Too many people today, they have discouragement in their lives. And the one thing I want people to know about the church, for example, and I want them to know about our God, 
I want them to know that he is an encourager. The Holy Spirit, the one who is called alongside, he is the one there to encourage us and work in our lives. And the church should be that kind of place. They hear too much discouragement. And unfortunately, through the years, they've heard too much discouragement about the church and church people from some of us. We should be encouragers. There they are. Paul doesn't say, hey, you guys, you know, y'all, I mean, y'all, y'all are done. Y'all are gone because y'all serve those other gods. Y'all are out of here. Just know that. No, he didn't say that. He said, my God has spoken to me. This is what my God said. You ought to take heart. You ought to eat. You ought to recognize we got a future here. You're not going to be destroyed. He displayed encouragement. And I certainly believe he declared the gospel. I believe he did. Remember he had said, this is the God I serve. At some point, I, I think they probably had some questions. Now, who is this God again that you're talking about? Tell me about this God. I mean, this God that has spoken to you, this God that you believe in. It was an opportunity for him to share about the God of Israel. The crisis moments. So often, the crisis moments. You remember this morning, I said that when you're in the workplace, you're in the school, whatever you're doing, and you're going through something very difficult, and the people around you know, and yet they can look at your life, and, and they know you hurt. I'm not saying you don't hurt. But yet they know that there's also a peace that you have. That should be a moment where you can say, again, the reason I have the peace that I have is because I know the Prince of Peace. The reason I can face this crisis is because I've got a God that's in control of all this. The reason I can look forward to something better tomorrow is because I have the God of tomorrow. He's going to control my present. He's going to control my future. And to be able to share that with other people. That is a message that needs to be heard. Isn't it amazing? Through all these obstacles that we've seen in the book of Acts. All God does is just continue to extend his good news. Gospel. The theme. The, the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. Even when a storm comes. It becomes an opportunity to advance the gospel. Well, verse 39, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves, and the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Paul's faith was borne out. His confidence, assured, demonstrated. Somehow, through all of this, the centurion recognized, hey, 
the God of Paul, well, he is some type of powerful God. He knows what he's talking about. He has spoken through Paul. Don't kill Paul. The centurion, the pagan centurion saves the life of Paul. Why? Because our great God still had a purpose for Paul. Where did he say Paul was going? Rome. And God is going to get him to Rome. Listen to me. If God has called you to a destination, if he has called you to a place, he will get you there. It may take going through a storm, but he will get you there. You can be confident in that. You can believe that. You can trust that. Because God is going to fulfill his purpose. Even if he has to move upon the heart of a pagan centurion, he will see to it that you get to where you need to go. He will get you where he has a plan for you and a purpose. And what's grace, gracious and merciful there are a whole lot of other people saved. At least physically. They're saved. Because of the faith. Because of the encouragement. Because of the gospel. That is demonstrated in this one man's life. It says 276 persons on the ship. Later on it says all of them saved. Physically. They get ashore. God takes our faith, he takes our encouragement, he takes the gospel. And what he can do is to save those around. People that don't deserve being saved, God can use believers. He can use us in our response to the crisis, our response to the storm. And he can make a difference in other people's lives. We need to be reminded of Will we make a difference this week, wherever we are? Crisis, storm, great moment, wonderful celebration time. Wherever it is, whatever we're involved in, will we make that type of difference in others' lives? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for your word, which you present to us so clearly. And Father, we pray that tonight, that you would be with all of us in this place. Father, for brothers and sisters who are here that may be going through a crisis right now, a storm is brewing in their lives. Father, I pray that you would give them a, an amazing sense of peace and faith. Lord, that they would actually use this moment to redeem it, to encourage others around them to use it as a moment to declare your greatness, your goodness, to declare the gospel. Father, for those of us that right now feel like we're drifting from one place to the other and yet we have no control, God, I pray that you would just confirm your work in our lives. Thank you that we can count upon you to get us to where we need to go even if it is through the storm Lord we love you this night we praise you speak to us now
during this moment of reflection and invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?